The interesting thing about 2 Chronicles 31, 32, the second half of King Hezekiah's reign up to his death, is that it's paralleled by four chapters in 2 Kings and four chapters in Isaiah. So there are three versions of this story in the Bible, but Kings and Isaiah are almost identical. Um, here in Chronicles, it's not. The author, probably Ezra, I don't know, but the author chose to make things different by condensing almost everything in Chronicles. So it, all of that story is one chapter in Chronicles, really, where it's three or four in, 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 in Isaiah and Kings. But he manages to insert a couple things that aren't in the other books. So uh, there, it, this is an interesting uh, thing that's going on. And it also, this section um, makes it uh, most obvious, I think, to the reader that the whole point of the authorship of Chronicles is the relationship of God's people to God through the temple. Because that's, that's the focus here, where it could be on the military thing or the excitement over Sennacherib's invasion and what was happening with the northern kingdom, because we don't even talk about that in Chronicles. They're just suddenly gone. And Hezekiah is the one who puts out his arms in the chapters before us to, to welcome those people home or to go up and smash their altars to uh, the same loving action that we'll be talking about but that, that's where we are in 2 Chronicles 31 and 32. Um, so I'm just going to get started and we'll go around from there. I uh, will, although I was taught never to apologize for the quality of my voice, I'm going to do that. Yesterday it was even more exciting because I was teaching Galatians at school and I had to tell them that the Greek word for to twist the gospel, which is what the Judaizers do in Galatians, is the Greek word strepho from which we get the word strep throat to twist and, and, and my voice is cracking. and I, So I assume that the Lord gave me this specifically for that recorded Bible class. And if so, I'm honored and humbled. So now 2 Chronicles 31. When all this was finished, this was that gigantic Passover celebration that went on for an extra month and a month late and kept going and kept going like the Energizer Bunny. Um, all the Israelites who were present went out to the cities of Judah. So they had done this already in Jerusalem. Now they go out to do it. And what is it? They broke the sacred memorial pillars into pieces, chopped down the Asherah poles, and smashed the high places and the altars throughout Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim and Manasseh, that's going higher and higher up north to this vacant lot that used to be Israel's northern tribes until the task was finished. Then all the people of Israel returned to their cities, each of them to his own property. Um, I'm just going to comment that Ephraim is just north of Benjamin. It's the big area of the northern kingdom. And then above that is the half-tribe of Manasseh that was not across the river. And that's a pretty big area, too. It goes up into the Ezra-Elan Valley, and it's what I would call Southern Galilee. Gets up into, like Nazareth touches into that area and so forth. And uh, Mount, 
Tabor and things like Anyway, so they go up and do that, and then they come back. And then I have a question on your handout. I don't have my handout in front of me, but you maybe have one, which is that the, 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 the practice of smashing idols and stuff is called iconoclasm. When is iconoclasm appropriate, and when is it inappropriate? Is it always appropriate, or can it be taken too far? I guess that's the question. Yeah, statues um, or, or smashing statues like they were doing here. They're tearing stuff down. Um, Luther had to answer that in his time because of uh, uh, a, a, a fellow pastor who was taking it to the extreme and saying you shouldn't have any images just in case somebody wants to pray to a saint. You know, you'd better get rid of all the images. But does that mean that you can have a cross but not a crucifix? Because there's a guy on a crucifix but not on a cross? And things like that. Mr. Kepsel, are you going to say something different or add? Motive. Yeah, what's the motive behind doing it? Is, it? is it to build yourself up? Or is it to put extra boundaries on the word of God and so forth? Um, there is, I'll, I'm just going to share this with you. Uh, there, there is a story in Luther's time about a pastor who was not an iconoclast, but the duchess was going to come and visit. Now, in, in Luther's time, the duke was the, the big guy in the area. So if his wife is going to show up, you would want to at least make her comfortable. But she came to this church, I think, in the winter. And you're talking about a, a cold stone church in Saxony in, you know, 1550 or whatever. And the guy didn't know what to do. All the trees outside are frozen. You can't cut any down for more wood. So what's he going to do when, when, you know, her excellency shows up? So they have statues. I don't know how big they were. I don't think they were life-size, but big statues of, of all the apostles that are made of wood. And he's got a pot-bellied stove in his, you know, in his study or whatever. And he starts popping in the saints into the stove to burn just, to, just so that there's wood. And uh, this, this story has two punchlines. And um, the, uh, uh, so the, the duchess is in there and she's happy and content and everything. And as he pops in the last of the apostles, which happened to be one of the Jameses, um, he, he, he shoves in the James into the stove and kind of says under his breath, Bend over, Jimmy. The room has to be warm. And uh, that kind of became a little saying uh, around the Lutheran circles at the time. And when Luther was giving a doctoral dissertation, or rather listening to a doctoral dissertation from a, a seminary student, um, that this young man, this student, thought that he would challenge Martin Luther on the doctrine of justification. Can you imagine how, how arrogant and foolish this would be to you know, go after Luther in your doc? He's going to make you a doctor of theology and you're going to challenge the pillar of the Lutheran, well, anyway, of the Christian church. And the kid decided to do a, a study of, of, of uh, righteousness by works in the epistle of James. And, uh, and Luther just... Very, I thought, uh, very, and because you know, we have a copy of, of everything that got said at this dissertation. There was a scribe there taking it down, and, uh, and especially because of what probably what Luther says here. 
And Luther just says, you, you've got this passage out of context. The rest of the New Testament and of God's word says the opposite of this. This must mean something under the rest of it, not as opposed to the rest of it. And then, and then Luther kind of, as a concluding remark, said, there are times when, oh, that epistle, I would just like to say, bend over, Jimmy, and just shove it into the fire, too. Um, so it was based on that earlier incident with the, with the statues when the Duchess came to visit. Um, <clears throat> okay, so iconoclasm that goes out of Judah now into Ephraim and Manasseh, where the northern tribes used to be. And now Hezekiah appointed the divisions of the priests and Levites, assigning each man to his area of service according to his division. The priests and Levites were responsible for burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. The burnt offerings were showing total submission to God and obedience. The fellowship offerings are where the people would bring, bring things in just out of love and thanksgiving, and then they would get to share it and eat with the priest's family and their own family and so forth. And then in order to minister and to give thanks and praise in the gates of the camps of the Lord. Um, the, there were no camps of the Lord anymore. This is a leftover term from Moses from when they had the tabernacle and the gates of the camps would be the, gate, the, the, camp of the, the camps of the 12 tribes outside of the tabernacle and the gates would be how the tribe got into the tabernacle itself. But it shows that Hezekiah, although he's, well, no, it shows that he's been reading Moses, that, that he pulls this saying out of Moses, although he's talking about the temple, he's using tabernacle terminology. You know, and be, obviously he loves the word of God and he's in the word of God. Um, and I also, I'm, 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 I'm convinced here that Hezekiah does not come up with new divisions of priests and Levites, but rather he's done research because David had done it um, 300 years earlier. And so he's gone back to David's records and what we have as First Chronicles 20, I suppose it's 23, 24, 25, 26. I don't have my sheet, so I, if I'm close. Um, uh, and he, uh, uh, and, and by doing that research, I believe also that that's why we have all of that detail about that particular incident in First Chronicles is probably because here Hezekiah did the research and, and in, in Second Chronicles and preserved it. Uh, this shows up later um, in the book of Proverbs when after all of Solomon's Proverbs have been collected and recorded and then long about chapter whatever it is, 27, 28, you've got a section that says Proverbs collected by the men of King Hezekiah. Uh, so I'm, 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 I'm thinking that when they were looking for David's records, they found more Proverbs by Solomon. And so there's still Solomon's Proverbs, but Hezekiah's men found these and so they make it kind of a little appendix to the old book of Proverbs. And that's what we have at the end of Proverbs, our, our, is that little section there. Um, and then one more, um, I, I, I believe, by Bathsheba. What am I talking about? Solomon says, uh, Proverbs for King uh, Lemuel, little boy, from his mother. I think that's Solomon saying, my mom taught me this. And what is it that his mom taught him? 
the woman of noble, the wife of noble character, or as I translated it, the heroic wife. Um, this is this is Proverbs thirty-one. So they found that too and stuck that at the at a really appropriate ending to the book. the The beginning of Proverbs is, "Listen, my son, these are all these things." And at the end, "My son, this is the kind of wife you want." You know, so it's a it's a good bookend to the book of Proverbs. All right, verse three and following, the king's contribution from his own personal property was designated for the morning and evening burnt offerings as well as for burnt offerings on the Sabbaths, weekly, the new moons, monthly, and the designated festivals, three a year, as it is written in the law of the Lord. So prior to this, they were hardly ever doing these. In fact, they had been forbidden by certain wicked kings to do these sacrifices. Now, where are they going to get the sacrifices from? Do the people know that they've got to contribute regularly? Well, Hezekiah is coming to that. But before he ever gets to the regular contributions for the priests, what about for the Lord? And so Hezekiah says, you know what, I've, I'm the richest guy here. I will make the donation for all of the required sacrifices. If there's a lamb that's got to be burned, I'll pay for it. We're done. So Hezekiah takes the lead there by providing all of those. And therefore, the priests, think about this. It's your job, you're the high priest or a priest, you've got to make a sacrifice in the morning and there isn't one available. Well, what do you got to do? I got to go get one. And what if there's not one for sale? Then I got to go to my, my daughter and take away, you know, Jenny, my daughter's lamb with a name and bring that and slaughter it today. And then what am I going to do tomorrow? So Hezekiah says, none of that, no more of that. I will take care of it. The lambs, the bulls, the rams, the goats, I've, I've got it. You're covered. He commanded the people living in Jerusalem to contribute the portion designated for the priests and the Levites so that they could hold tightly to the law of the Lord. Not just cling loosely, but hold tightly to the law of the Lord. So you guys provide the offerings that are the, the tithes that go to the priests and the Levites. You guys keep 90% for yourselves. Give 10% for this one tribe that doesn't get to go to work for a living. They've got to be here sacrificing all the time. As soon as the order was made public, the people of Israel gave their first fruits of grain, wine, oil, honey, and all the produce of the field in abundance. They brought an abundant tithe of everything. How much is a tithe? 10%. How much is an abundant tithe? Baker's dozen? I don't, you know, 11%? I don't, I don't whatever. It's an, but it's an abundant tithe. It's not a skimpy tithe. It's an abundant tithe of everything. All the people of Israel and Judah who lived in the cities of Judah also brought their tithe of the cattle and sheep and a tithe of the holy things dedicated for the Lord their God, they piled up one heap on top of another. In the third month, they began to accumulate it, and they finished by the seventh month. So third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh month, a little under five months, and, they, and they've got all of this huge, and it's piles and piles of grain, barley, wheat, uh, uh, probably barrels of, or kegs of oil and so forth. Oh, sure, in addition to 
Yeah, yeah. But barrels of beer, kegs of wine, flasks of wine, and then things like uh, clothing, you know, and, and fabric and, 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 and sewing needles and, you know, all kinds of things that could be used by the Levites that would delight them. And, uh, and you know, um, just lamps and, you know, all kinds of things that, yeah. And think about, you know, where do, they, where do you buy door hinges when there isn't a Menards? You know, and stuff like that and, and things like that. So they brought them things uh, to, to use. When Hezekiah and the officials came, they saw the piles and blessed the Lord and his people Israel. Hezekiah asked the priests and Levites about the piles. Before we go on with verse 10, just going back into verse 8, they blessed the Lord. We talked about this in catechism um, yesterday. We were talking about prayer. Um, and how do we bless the Lord? What's, what's the definition of to bless? Usually we think of God blessing us by giving us things and so forth. But what about us blessing God? Well, there are probably a couple things involved. Uh, when we bless God, we certainly wish him nothing but well and, and, and joy and love. We also um, respond to his love with our love and thanksgiving. And finally, part of our blessing God is, I suppose, our obedience. When I get that far on the list, I begin to think of how miserable my blessing of God is, you know, because I, I fall so short of it. And finally, our blessing of God is going to limp. It's going to fall short. But God hears it and he ascribes Christ's righteousness to it. And remember that two hymnals ago, we used to say, bless we the Lord, thanks be to God. And so the bless we the Lord was the minister saying, let's bless the Lord. And then what did the people say? Thanks be to God. So it's our thanksgiving to God finally. Okay. Okay, now the piles. Because I don't think that they were piles of lambs and oxen, you know, but piles of everything else and so forth. Well, Azariah, the head priest of the house of Zadok, answered. Ever since they began bringing their contribution into the house of the Lord, the people have had plenty to eat and drink, enough to be full with plenty left over. The Lord has blessed his people, and this great amount is left over. So what's Azariah's assessment of the people? Do they, are they going without no, they've got full bellies and they're still bringing this. In fact, they're not even, uh, uh, they're not even complaining. They're, this is just over and above. The people have plenty. When God needs a lot, he gives a lot. Um, and then he asks us to give some of it back. You know, so when God gives, when God needs a lot, lot, he must give a lot, 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 right? A very, very big lot. Uh, to get some back and so forth. Just a comment about this Azariah. He is not talked about as if he is the, head, the high priest. Um, and at this time, um, we don't have a complete list in the Bible of all of the high priests, but the Jews have a couple of lists of high priests that are pretty thorough. And some of them go outside of scripture back into tradition. And there's no real reason to doubt some of that stuff. They, have, they were there and so forth, and they may have some names that are just aren't in the Bible. 
There are three, four, five Azariahs who were high priests. This doesn't seem to be any of them. And he's not talked about, he's called head priest here. In the New Testament, we often have somebody who's called a, a chief priest. And so it's a, this is a high up priest, but not the high priest. And it's also possible that the, the high priest at this time was quite elderly. And so there had to be priests who were senior who did some of the work, but the, the, the old high priest wasn't dead yet, and so he wasn't replaced yet. Um, so it could be that kind of a situation. Well, Azariah's assessment is God has really, been, has really blessed us. Hezekiah told them to prepare it in rooms in the house of the Lord, and they did so. They faithfully brought the special contributions, tithes, and dedicated things you know, Mark, I liked your assessment of the dedicated thing, the extra things and the abundance. Could it be over and above what was required with other kinds of things? That's a, that's a good thought there. Then these two guys, uh, Conaniah, the Levite, was the chief officer over them. Excuse me, and his brother Shimei was second in command. I don't know if this is brother Levite or brother brother. I kind of think it's brother brother, but it could just be a, another Levite. And then these ten names, Jehiel, Azaziah, Nahath, Azahel, Jeremoth, Josabed, Eliel, Ismachiah, Mahath, and Benaiah were administrators under the supervision of Conaniah and his brother Shemai by the appointment of King Hezekiah. Azariah was the chief officer of the house of God. So this chief priest becomes chief officer. And notice what Hezekiah does. He's got uh, valuables that have been given in Piles, right? And what's the danger there? Five-finger discount? You know, uh, a, little, a little off the top. And so he puts a couple guys, Levites, in charge. Number one and number two. There is a succession there. He then puts ten other guys as administrators under the supervisors. And there's a priest, a chief priest, who is chief officer over everything, What's he done? I think he's created a system of checks and balances. It's like in our church constitution. Um, it doesn't matter how many roles any one man holds, how many, how many uh, uh, boards he's on or is chairman of, but he cannot be on the board of finance and be the guy who writes the checks. That can't be the same person. Also, something that's dangerous in certain congregations that also can't be a husband and wife team. That's in the Constitution. It wasn't always in the Constitutions, but it is in Minnesota under all the Constitutions I supervised. So you've got to take temptation out of people's hands um, just, just for, their, for their sake and the sake of the congregation. I know of a congregation in, in, in Wisconsin that was building up a huge amount of money to be able to do a, a huge addition to their congregation. And they didn't realize it, but their treasurer had a gambling issue. And the money just went away. And it was terrible. The same thing happened with a, a, a church body I know of in Minnesota where there was a, a foreign mission thing going on up in the Twin Cities. And their leader also had a gambling issue and all their money just went away. So it can happen in our fellowship, it can happen in somebody else's fellowship, 
It happened in uh, my dad's church, not of our fellowship in Wisconsin. Um, their pastor resigned and moved away, and they found out that they were $50,000 short. And their congregation refused to even suspect that their pastor had had something to do with that. All right, 14. Corey, I'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce that. Corey, son of Imna the Levite, the keeper of the east gate, which is always the head gatekeeper. The east gate was the gate that opened to the sunrise out of the temple. So it's the big gate in front that looks across at the Mount of Olives and so forth. That's the gate Jesus was riding up to when he rode the donkey um, on Palm Sunday um, and fulfilling the prophecy from Zechariah. Uh, by the way, what happened to that gate today? Anybody know? It's bricked up. The Muslims bricked it up about a thousand years ago because they read in the Old Testament that the Messiah was going to come through that gate. So they thought they would keep that from happening. And since they reject Jesus, they don't understand that they're a thousand years late. It already happened, you know. It's a little bit like closing the barn door after the cows get out. But anyway. So, Corey, in charge of the voluntary offerings, he was responsible for distributing the special contribution given to the Lord and the most holy offerings. So another guy is in charge of handing it all out. So they have bookkeepers, Officers in charge of all of it. A different guy is going to give out the distribution. So nobody is in charge of the whole pot. It's a wise thing to do. Faithfully assisting him in the cities of the priests were Aden, Miniamin, Jeshua, Shemaiah, Amariah, Shechaniah, who were making distributions to their brothers according to their divisions, the same to old and young alike. There was no seniority among the priests. Your cut is your cut. Besides that, they gave support to all those enrolled by genealogy to the males from, it's either 3 or 30. There's a textual question here. 3 or 30 years old and up to all who came to the house of the Lord for their daily service and their assigned offices in their division. That's why there's a textual question. The 3-year-olds wouldn't be coming to their daily office, but the 30-year-olds would be. When did you start your ministry as a priest? When you're 30, Ezekiel 1.1. 1, 1. Yeah. Um, the Levites, by the way, were 20. And let's go on to verse 17. They also gave support to those enrolled as priests on the basis of the house of their fathers. Also to the Levites from 20 years old and older. That's why I think that probably is 30 in the previous verse. According to their assigned officers or offices and their divisions, to those enrolled with all their dependents, their wives and their sons and daughters to the entire group because they were faithfully keeping themselves holy. For the descendants of Aaron, those priests who were living in the fields of the common pasture land around their cities in every city, men designated by name were assigned to give portions to every male among the priests and to all the enrolled Levites. So even the Levites who are not in town but are out in the countryside, we're going to send wagons out with their cut, probably monthly, to make sure that they get what they're supposed to have as well. Hezekiah carried this all out in, in all of Judah. He did what was good, right, and faithful before the Lord his God in all the work which he began in service to the house of God, to the law, and to the commandment. He sought his God and acted with all his heart 
and he prospered. That's the judgment of the Holy Spirit on this king. There's going to be a little bit of a change coming up, but this is pretty good. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.